Ooh, we changed color lights. Oh, there we go. Now change. Welcome to the vineyard. As we continue on our study through the Old Testament, um, we have worked through the New Testament together. That's so cool. I like to say that. We did all five years of that. It took us five years and a little every, every chapter. Good job. Old Testament, that's our goal, to go through the whole thing, which I think will take a total of like 15 years. Although we may cut a little time off of that through the Psalms, because like some of those Psalms are only one or two lines, so we might combine some of those. But, um, and then there's some chapters that we might have to cut in, take in chunks because they get a little out of hand. But we'll see how we go. I don't know. I've never done it like this before. So I'm uh, seven, we're seven years in, almost seven years in. Good job. Um, we are, uh, we completed the book of Genesis, and we are 22 chapters now into the book of Exodus. Um, you know, I try and sort of give you the, uh, the main idea for the book, things that you should remember. And if you can remember a few basics of each book, then, you know, if you need to sort of figure out where something is, you can generally find your way back there. This was way more important when I first started studying because we didn't have Google. And uh, if you needed to know a verse, you sort of needed to have some idea where you could find it. Uh, and now you don't have to do that anymore. Now you can just go, ta-da, there it is. So, but the ideas I think are still healthy is that if you're in a conversation, you can go, okay, I sort of know what's going on in there. Exodus, when you're talking about the Exodus, you're really looking at um, the Passover is, is one of the first big things. We've talked about that, and that's really built through those first 12 chapters or so. You know, the, the 10 plagues leading up to it are all your important and why and everything and all the players, but um, it's really about the Passover. The parting of the Red Sea is a huge deal. And that's in Exodus, and just because of some of the things that it symbolizes and why that's important. And then um, coming, um, we just sort of got into now, we started talking about the law, and then we're going to talk about the tabernacle. Those are the four big, big things that come out of Exodus. Lots of other stuff comes out of there, but those are the things, if you can kind of remember, you know, then you're, you're in a pretty good spot. I'm just trying to think if I remember all the stuff that I taught you to, to hang on to in Genesis. And I don't... The crimson thread of redemption is a big one, but there was, you know, the patriarchs you needed to remember, and the, the, it was the creation, and the fall, and the flood, and the Tower of Babel in the first 12 chapters. See, that's just coming back from all those years of us talking about all those weeks, and then the, it was, you know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph are the four main characters. That was pretty much it, and the crimson thread of redemption runs all the way through that. So anyway... I'm hoping that when we're in with Exodus, we can go back, you know, when we're in the next book and go, what were those things again? And because we've said them over and over, we got them. All right, so Exodus 22. Now, the, this chapter and the chapter before it um, are known as sort of um, the book of the covenant or the law of Moses, separating this part from the Ten Commandments, which we started with, um, which is the law of God, you, you need to know that there's a little bit of difference between the Ten Commandments and all the rest of these community laws that he's building into his people right now. So God is coming in, and he's trying to teach his people how to exist in community. And so this was a covenant between God and the people of Israel that they were entering into um, at that point in time. And by accepting um, this, the book of the covenant, they were, you know, sort of putting themselves in this very special relationship with God, God and saying that they would obey him in the process. 
And th these, these laws, as we're reading over them, they're not arbitrary. They're based on the character of God, and, um, and they're based on the moral, moral principles expressed in the Ten Commandments. Um, but as we read them, you know, a lot of them don't really apply to us, but we can learn from them. And the idea is, um, remember too, you know, keeping the law was never never the way to salvation even for them. It never got them that sort of deal going on. This was God setting up how they should live in community with one another. This was what it looked like to live as his people. And so he's, he's sort of moving into some um, um, ideas, laws if you would, to, um, to protect life and, and liberty and um, uh, to sort of regulate human um, behavior. Law in and of itself is powerless to change human nature always has been, always will be. It doesn't change people. It just sort of tries to make a atmosphere where people can sort of um, live somewhat peaceably and safely. And, you know, all the things that we talked about. Remember the, the scariest part of Jewish history, most likely, was the time of the judges, which we'll be at in a few years. Yeah, four or five years from now. <laughs> Um, where uh, there's a verse in there where it said, and every man did what was right in his own eyes. And it's really scary when you think about what that means. No standard, no moral compass, no everybody just doing, and, and you know, we, we sort of touch on that all the time. It's like when you take this out of the picture and everybody going, well, you don't, you can't, you, you know, how do you know what true is? How do you know if something's right or something's wrong? We know because we have the, we have the, we have the standard. But when you remove that, and everybody just starts doing what's right in their own eyes. Very, very scary because that's not good. And that's what they moved into uh, in the point in time in Israel's history. But right now, remember, these people are getting used to God. And God's trying to teach them how to be together. Here in this first few months that they've been um, released, a couple of million folks. Um, everything's brand new. And uh, these are um, the laws he lays into um, into them. It continues on. So we're going to read Exodus 22. There's 31 verses. I'll read them to you. We'll talk about them briefly on the other side. If a man steals an ox or a sheep and slaughters it or sells it, he must pay back five head of cattle for the ox and four sheep for the sheep. If a thief is caught breaking in and is struck so that he dies, the defender is not guilty of bloodshed. But if it happens after sunrise, he is guilty of bloodshed. A thief must certainly make restitution, but if he has nothing, he must be sold to pay for his theft. If the stolen animal is found alive in his possession, whether ox or donkey or sheep, he must pay back double. If a man grazes his livestock in a field or vineyard and lets them stray, and they graze in another man's field, he must make restitution from the best of his own field or vineyard. If a fire breaks out and spreads into thorn bushes, thorn bushes so that it burns shocks of grain, or standing grain or the whole field, the one who started the fire must make restitution. If a man gives his neighbor silver or goods for safekeeping and they are stolen from the neighbor's house, the thief, if he is caught, must pay back double. But if the thief is not found, the owner of the house must appear before the judges to determine whether he has laid his hands on the other man's property. In all cases of illegal possession of an ox, a donkey, a sheep, a garment, or any other lost property about which somebody says, this is mine, both parties are to bring their cases before the judges. The one whom the judges declare guilty must pay back double to his neighbor. If a man gives 
a donkey, an ox, a sheep, or any other animal to his neighbor for safekeeping, and it dies or is injured or is taken away while no one is looking, the issue between them will be settled by the taking of an oath before the Lord that the neighbor did not lay hands on the other person's property. The owner is to accept this, and no restitution is required. But if the animal was stolen from the neighbor, he must make restitution to the owner. If it was torn to pieces by a wild animal, he shall bring in the remains as evidence, and he will not be required to pay for the torn animal. If a man borrows an animal from his neighbor and is injured or dies while the owner is not present, he must make restitution. But if the owner is with the animal, the borrower will not have to pay. If the animal was hired, the money paid for the hire covers the loss. If a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged to be married and sleeps with her, he must pay the bride price, and she shall be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her to him, he must still pay the bride price for virgins. Do not allow a sorceress to live. Anyone who has sexual relations with an animal must be put to death. Whoever sacrifices to any god other than the Lord must be destroyed. Do not mistreat an alien or oppress him, for you were aliens in Egypt. Do not take advantage of a widow or an orphan. If you do and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. My anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children fatherless. If you lend money to one of my people among you who is needy, do not be like a money lender. Charge him no interest. If you take your neighbor's cloak as a pledge, return it to him by sunset, because his cloak is the only covering he has for his body. What else will he sleep in? When he cries out to me, I will hear, for I am compassionate. Do not blaspheme God or curse the ruler of your people. Do not hold back offerings from your granaries or your vats. You must give me the firstborn of your sons. Do the same with your cattle and your sheep. Let them stay with their mothers for seven days, but give them to me on the eighth day. You're to be my holy people, so do not eat the meat of any, an animal torn by wild beasts. Throw it to the dogs. Blessed be the word of the Lord. And uh, let's start chatting about those verses. Remember, as we, uh, as we talk about this law of the covenant, the law of Moses, um, these, these were be set up between God and his people and how they would operate. What we want to glean from them, if we can, is sort of the underlying dynamic of what was taking place to see what we can learn from it and um, see how it applies to us and whatever that looks like today. But that's what we learn from these chapters. So, actually pretty interesting, verse 1. Here's the deal. If I steal your ox... <laughs> it just sounds funny. Not that I would, and not that you got one. So... Or your lamb to either eat or sell, I'm to restore the ox fivefold and the sheep fourfold. Uh, and, and what that means is so, so you know, here's the deal. If I, if I take your ox, um, I've got to give you five head of cattle back if I'm caught. If it's a sheep, you get four sheep in return. And, and when God is dealing with these legal matters, one of the things that you need to see fascinating, really, is that God's justice. Um, is always based, uh, almost always based in these matters on restitution, not on incarceration. Totally different. We do it. We have a totally different basis now. For for most of our stuff, it's incarceration, perhaps with restitution, but we we go with incarceration. And so um, the the people of God, that wasn't what was going to happen. Um, if they were caught stealing, 
they were going to make restitution. That's, that's what was going to happen. And it was a fairly steep punishment. And um, so take one ox and you get caught. You're going to give five back. Steal a sheep. You're going to give four sheep back. So, well, then what's the issue? If you have somebody, you know, that's so poor that they're stealing an ox or a sheep, how in the ever are they going to pay it back? And see, that, that's the whole thing. Um, the answer is that if you had a thief in the family, it, your family, your whole family could be responsible for it. Or that's, we talked last week about how they would often be sold in, in, into slavery. That would be another way that you would make restitution. You would, you would, you couldn't give back five oxen and your family couldn't help you out. You were going to do seven years. It wasn't incarceration. It was work, payback. It was a different deal. Um, and so the process was restitution, not incarceration. And all of that was so that people ultimately wouldn't steal. You know, that's the whole deal, right? He made that commandment, thou shalt not steal. It's a really good commandment. Remember, I keep telling you this because we talked about it the other day. That's the only reason we have to carry these silly things around. You would not need pockets <laughs> other than for your phone. If people didn't steal, you, wouldn't need a, you would not need a key for anything. And, and it's how we're supposed to live in community, free from that concern that somebody's going to take my stuff. Because all God's stuff anyway, and he gives some to each one of us, and that ought to be good. But it's an issue. And so people were stealing livestock, even in this brand-new community. And they were, you know... So they were setting up, so, okay, this is how it works. Just so you know, everybody knows going in, and they all agreed to this deal, so they wouldn't do it. Now, this is pretty interesting, too. Those next couple of verses, think about this. If a thief broke in at night and was killed in the process, the one who killed him was justified. But that was not the case if the, the crime occurred in broad daylight. And, and you think, well, why would that be? And the only thing I can think of is in the dark... Um, it would be very confusing. You, you may not be able to tell what was going on. If somebody was coming in only to steal or perhaps to harm you, and so the response would be justified if you felt threatened that you took care of that. But in the daytime, there would be no confusion. You would know what the issue was. And, and so um, you, it wasn't okay to kill someone who was trying to steal from you. It was okay to try and stop the situation, but not to kill them. And um, I, th I think about this, and this uh, may be something we get from this. With increased light comes increased responsibility. And who's the light of the world? So would Jesus come in, see things begin to look different. So anyway, it's part of the thing. And so um, if you have the light, you have to live up to it. And really, that's what was going on in this whole process. And remember, too, um, think about what night must have been like before electricity. Lots of bad stuff used to happen at night. And a lot of the prayers in the early church, you can read them um, in, in the prayer books and stuff from six, five, six hundred years ago. They prayed at night, and it was, there was a level almost of fear in it that they were saying, you know, God, if somehow we make it through this <laughs> till the morning, thank you. <laughs> and the first prayer in the morning would basically be, thank you for getting us through that night. Because, you know, it's just dark and bad things happening. So, um, so there was a difference between uh, in, the, in the sort of consequence of what happened. Verse 4, it says that if a thief was caught red-handed with whatever he had taken, he had to pay back double. So that was, the, that was the restitution, not just give it back, 
you need to give that back. And another thing just like it. Um, there's a, when we read Numbers, four years from now, <laughs> in Numbers chapter 5, there's an exception, and it says this. If a thief's conscience bothers him, uh, he hasn't been caught, but if his conscience gets to him and he returns the item, he's, he's, he doesn't have to give two back. He's just got to give the item plus 20% of its value back. Arbitrary, it seems, but that's how they were setting things up. And uh, so if he could confess it without being apprehended, he had to give it back plus 20%, which was a better deal than giving back two of whatever it was. I don't know. Um, if I let my animals graze in your field without your permission, um, I would have to pay you back with the very best of my field. That was restitution. So you couldn't sneak your animals in so they weren't eating from your stuff and we're eating everybody else's stuff. They were trying to keep everybody on the up and up in that. Verse 6, if I start a fire and uh, it causes a lot of damage, I'm responsible for the damage that's done. So I'd be responsible for the damage done by fire I started. Now, you know, some of this stuff moves into some New Testament principles. Like James says in James 3, that the, the tongue um, is, is like uh, uh, that that can start a fire and do a lot of damage. And, and, you know, if you sort of looked at the principle, really, when, when we've done that, we've engaged in that, um, we should always be people that want to make restitution. You went under the law, but the principle is there. So, um, you know, I often, we talk about, you know, gossip here, and it's a, it's a big deal, but it's one of the sins that the church sort of goes, on. Ah, well, everybody does it. And we, so we come up with other words for it. And, um, but, you know, gossip is talked about a lot in the Scripture as being something we should stay away from. And it, the problem is it's very seductive, gossip, because it makes you illegitimately connect with somebody else. So if someone sort of lures you into gossip, you connect illegitimately over the gossip, and it's very seductive. It will draw you in. The problem why gossip is so strongly talked about in the Scripture is um, it's usually nowhere near based in fact and it spreads around like a fire, and it causes all sorts of damage. And then, unfortunately, nobody goes and fixes it when they find out the real thing. Like, you, you, you'll share a juicy thing, but then when you find out it wasn't true, you don't usually go back and see. And really, if you were trying to rectify the situation, you would go to every person that, that had been impacted and say, I'm sorry, that wasn't true. That's why the best thing that we can do when we get gossip is change the, I like to just change the subject. When I feel I'm drawn, being drawn into it, just go somewhere else. Don't have to be overly corrective with it. You know, I don't like point fingers. They don't gossip. I just talk about the dolphins or something. <laughs> and there's, I just jump into the subject like, aren't they terrible? <laughs> Although they play good Sunday. So go figure. Who'd we lose? Oh. Oh, we got that good back now, though. He was awesome. I'm off topic. See how quickly you can do that? <laughs> Much better than gossip. Okay, so, so there you go. Something to think about. Now, I like this, too. So, uh, verses 7 and 8, 9 and 10 and all those. If you're watching your neighbor's goods while he's on vacation and they're stolen, the thief has to pay double if he's caught. But if no thief is caught, then it's up to the judges to determine whether you are actually the one that ripped this guy off. So, <laughs> I like that. 
I don't know. Where were they? I'm on vacation. You know, where, where are you going on a trip? I just, just escaped Egypt. I'm going back to get some sun, I guess. Can you, can you watch my gold while I go? I don't get any of the process, but apparently... It was, and, and in that deal, too, on some of the lesser crimes, if, if this thing was going on and the guy said, I didn't do it, you have to accept him at his word. Uh, if, he took, if he would make a, oh, I, you know, before God, I didn't do it, then, then that was that. And the idea was if, um, if he was lying, that God would deal with him. So, yeah, it's back in the first beginning community of Israel, okay? Uh, if you borrow, verse 14, 15, if you borrowed something from your neighbor, you were responsible to maintain it. So if you borrowed something and it broke, you didn't just get to give it back and say, hey, I'm sorry, when I borrowed this, it broke. Thanks a lot. Uh, <laughs> but if there was payment involved and, uh, you know, like it was rented, then you weren't responsible to replace it. So um, that was kind of an interesting issue uh, then. Um, the, the idea they're talking about there was um, if, if a... Uh, uh, next few verses. Uh, so, uh, when, if a man seduced a woman, uh, at that point, in effect, um, when a sexual encounter had taken place, it was a, it was like saying "I do," at that point in time. So that was the situation that was there in the process, and and so there would be a bride price that would need to be paid, and um, that was normally, that was the normal deal, like a dowry. That if um, in any family, um, the, there would be a price paid for the bride um, to compensate the family's loss, or however it worked, but it was, it was kind of the deal. So there was a bride price. And even in this situation, that bride price would be paid. And even if the father of the daughter wouldn't accept this guy, he's the, the guy still needed to pay the bride price for um, what he would done. The bride price, interesting concept, and um, it, it moves through into the New Testament and you see um, Jesus is paying, the, he pays the bride price for us at the cross. And he does that whole thing, and he sets that price at the, at the Passover, at the, new, at the Last Supper. Uh, it's pretty interesting how that takes place. And then he, he, they drink to it with the, the cups, and he seals the deal. Um, but so he pays the bride price for us. That's why he's the groom and the church is the bride, because he paid the price for us which was his life exchange for ours. Pretty good. Um, but anyway, that was going back then. So you see that stuff happening. Um, verse 18 talks about witchcraft, uh, sorceress, uh, sorcerer, the occult. All those things were um, forbidden because of the power that they tapped into, which was not the right kind. And uh, so they were, they were told to take that very seriously. Bestiality was also something absolutely they couldn't even begin to um, consider that was a capital crime. Um, verse 20 and 21, um, they were forbidden to worship strange gods, little g gods. Um, that's always, you know, the, the case, and that was one of the, the commandments. However, um, aliens among them were not to be oppressed. So strangers among them were not just arbitrarily to be oppressed. Uh, they were to be, because of the fact that the people of Israel had been strangers in Egypt and they'd been oppressed, when they had people from other places in their midst, they weren't arbitrarily to be, be oppressed. 
So that's how that was supposed to work. They were, in effect, to be accepted. Worship of false gods wasn't, but they were to be accepted, not oppressed. Um, the Father has, throughout Scripture, has a heart for widows and orphans. It's just part of his heart for people. God's people were not to charge one another interest. Pretty interesting state of affairs back then. One another. Now, they could charge anybody else interest who was borrowing money from them, but not one another, not among their own people. They weren't supposed to charge interest. How they would get away from that, around that, generally, still done in some places where their beliefs won't let them charge interest, but they're not going to loan out their money otherwise, is they, they, they calculate what the interest would be, <laughs> and it's worked into the price somehow. But they don't get it all, but they have to pay that much back. But they say they're not charging interest. They use other words for it. And that, unfortunately, with this kind of stuff, there's usually a pe- people get sinister and have workarounds. But the idea was don't, you know, help one another where you can. Don't, don't try and get rich off of one another by that process. Uh, and, and to the point where if someone puts down his coat as a collateral alone, um, he, it needed to be returned to him by the time he would have need of it. So, like, if he gave you the coat in the beginning of the day and it's going to get cold at night, God would say, have compassion on the guy. Give him his coat back. I don't know if you collect it every morning from him <laughs> until the debt's paid, but he gets it back at night. <laughs> Comes by every morning with his coat. See you later. Um, verse 29 is interesting. So the firstborn son in every family, was, remember, was, would be serving as priest. And this had happened. Now, this will change when the priesthood is set up and in place. And we'll get to some of that as we get more towards the tabernacle. But um, right now, so the firstborn um, son of every family would um, be um, in the priesthood. And so they're talking about that at that time. And then the, the firstborn of some of their animals were also to be given to the service of the Lord. And um, pretty, pretty young, too, seven days in. Uh, and he sets a time limit. Like on the eighth day, you need to give them up because most people probably want to keep the young with the moms a little longer than that, the animals. But um, then it gets harder and harder to give them, I guess. Anyway, that's what he did. And then at the end, um, they're basically told not to eat roadkill. Is that, is that what you read? That's how I read it. <laughs> how do you know? <laughs> That's all I could think of. But it had to do with um, their meal and everything. They, it was, you know, God had a standard for those things, and um, he, he was still enforcing that whole process. And uh, anyway... So that's all you're going to remember. From all that talking I just did, everybody's going to leave here. Don't eat roadkill. <laughs> At least you'll remember something. That's enough for today. Uh, if you're watching my video, thanks for doing it. We'll be back next week and uh, see if you can join us. If you need prayer, go to the website. There's a prayer page.